Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I am Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here in this beautiful Canadian recording studio with both our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, guys. Guys, we made it to Canada. This is so exciting. I know. Well, there's a crackling fireplace and uh, wood... Yeah. Wall, I don't know. Maple syrup. Maple syrup everywhere. I, I, I'm playing hockey <laughs> while we record. Yeah, you're very athletic. Yeah. You're not even out of yeah. I'm, I'm on a moose. I mean, it's all <laughs> happening. So uh, the people Sorry, at, at, uh, at the Toronto Film Festival have really generously let us uh, record in their studio. Yeah. And uh, later we'll have Rob and Jeff, who are the hosts of the Tiff Long Tape podcast, talk to us kind of about the inside perspective on Toronto. Uh, but they, as people who work for Tiff, are not allowed to just dish on the movies that they program because and the, the official Tiff perspective is that they're all great. Uh, right. So that's what we're here for. Yeah. To talk about what we've seen and what we hate, but maybe we'll first get into what we like. Because as we keep saying, this is the start of award season. This is where everything is really making itself known. We've all been able to see a lot of movies, seen a lot of people. We're just going to kind of go down the list of what we've seen. And Richard, I was going to start by quizzing you about the movie that I think was probably last night's hot ticket. It was uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire? Yes, Roman J. Israel Esquire. It's a lot of Great punctuation. <laughs> a lot of, you know, it's a busy title. Is there a comma before that, Junior? Or uh, and before and after? Uh, there's a, it's Roman J. Oh, no. Dot Esqu- uh, Israel, <laughs> c- c- comma, Esquire in all caps, period. Oh, there's no junior. I somehow thought yeah. there was a junior. No, no. no. Our copy team is already yeah. miserable. Yeah. Okay. It's a crazy title. Um, Yeah, so that was at the Ryerson Theater, which is a little kind of further afield of where we are, which is in the center of T- TIFF, which is at the light box um, on King Street. But there was a line wrapped around several blocks. Like, it was just, you know, it was, it's a, it was a big event. And for good reason. I'm Dan Gilroy, who wrote and directed it, had a movie here two years ago called Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal that was a huge hit here. Yeah. Um, and is uh, didn't get the Oscar love that maybe some hoped or thought it would. It launched Rizamed's career. Though. It launched Rizamed's career. It hopefully re- renewed Renee, Renee Russo's, but uh, and was a great performance by Jake Gyllenhaal. So yeah, that 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 all considered, people were excited for this. Plus, Denzel Washington is at this point one of the most surefire actors, I think, if not the most working right now. You can just even if the movie around him isn't great, he's going to be great. Um, yeah. Although there was some dissent on that front with this movie well where did you fall on it i just filed my review as we record it's tricky it's i was telling mike uh, before we recorded that it's a movie that's about really good and interesting things which is sort of um social activism um especially the judicial system it's about civil he's washington plays this kind of behind the scenes civil rights attorney who works for this tiny criminal defense firm and his partner is the forward-facing part of the of the operation where he actually goes to trial and and but washington works behind the scenes to kind of draft arguments and all that um and then his partner has a heart attack and is incapacitated and so washington kind of has to take over that aspect of the job but also kind of find his way through a world where it's easy to be cynical and tired of working for 40 years to try to change something that just refuses to change Mm -hmm. so it's about really relevant stuff in a very direct way i mean we see there's talk about social revolution we see posters of angela davis i mean the movie doesn't really shy away from its really its left-wing tendencies but because it's a movie from you know uh, sony it's a hollywood picture um it has a sort of more uplifting dramatic but also a thriller element to it so it's a kind of weird mishmash of things that doesn't always work i appreciate its intention more than i do its execution I think Mike and I were saying last week when we were just kind of looking ahead at Toronto that it feels like Denzel Washington came really close to winning Best Actor with Fences and there was a sense that like this maybe would be the one where he just gets his third. Does that feel possible to you now? That's a good question. I mean, it's a really it's one of his weirder performances. You know, he's he's got this kind of shock of Cornell West hair. He's wearing these rumpled clothes. They put a fake like gap in between his front teeth. Hmm. He kind of shambles along. He has kind of these obsessive um, tendencies, these tics. So it's a lot of 
capital C character, you mm-hmm. know? And that has worked at the Academy before, certainly. But I think... But it's not blowing him past Gary Oldman in your... In your I don't think so. I mean, Oldman is just... I mean, you know, his is this kind of act of transformation. It's in this really... It's, a, it's in a movie that does not question its sort of rousing uplift. Like, in Darkest Hour, you're like, this is right, and he is doing <laughs> yes. the right thing. <laughs> yeah. in, is, in Roman J. Israel, Esquire, uh, it's... That's a more... Conf- the, the, the sort of ideology is a little more confused deliberately, mm-hmm. but I think it's harder to grab onto it and be like, yes, like, mm-hmm. I, I support this. So I think that that could hamper him. I would be surprised if he didn't get at least some awards attention for it, but yeah. I don't think he's going to win or anything. Well, while we're in Best Actor land, maybe, like, focus first on films that have premiered here for the first time, and then we'll talk about what we've all been able to catch sure. up with. But uh, Mike and I had got to see Stronger, which you had also seen, um, which has this performance from Jake Gyllenhaal at the center of it that um, I think we've all, I think the idea has been if it wasn't for Gary Oldman, Jake Gyllenhaal might win an Oscar. Yeah, Mike, you really liked it, right? I did. I liked it a lot. And and again, you know, we, we talk about Festival Fever and you can crank, multiply that by 40 when Katie and I just did the red carpet and not only like was Jake Gyllenhaal cool, but also the guy he plays who had his legs blown off in the Boston Marathon and then helped, you know, finger the killers, the, 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 the terrorists like also came by and hung out and, and was super nice. So walked like, down the red carpet right. on his artificial and, legs. Yeah. Mind blowing. So I mean, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But like after that experience walking inside, I was like, wow, this movie, you know, full disclosure, we didn't get to see the whole thing because we had to run back out and do yeah. another red carpet. But for the first half of it that we saw, like it sped through a bunch of uh, beats that would have been a bit tiresome and difficult to watch and got you right to like set up the characters really fast portrait did the bombing and then got you into the heart of the matter pretty quickly and and this and this transformation from happy go lucky sort of knucklehead who's you know pining for uh, Tatiana Maslany to like guy who is experiencing an unbelievably difficult ordeal and trying to match you know his own feelings of being a loser to this idea that he's a hero and also just deal with the fact that he had his legs blown off. You know, it happens fast and it is quite moving. And, you know, just even in that first hour that we watched, I'm like, there's plenty for an Oscar reel here. Yeah. And frankly, as long as uh, as Jeff um, uh, Bowman, Bowman yeah. is, you know, arm in arm with, with, I mean, I hate to say it and be cynical, but like that's oh. quite an asset to a yeah. Uh, campaign. Yeah. yeah, and I think also an asset is the fact that the movie that, David Gordon Green made is light on schmaltz. Yeah, I think it, it will appeal to a younger, hipper set of Academy voters, mm-hmm. which you know they're trying to tell us they have more of, because it, it keeps its kind of emotional register at a human scale. Uh, there are moments yeah. of a little, you know, kind of cheesy stuff toward the end. I think that you guys didn't see, but for my, I saw it in a very different context, like me and two other people in a screening room in the middle of a Wednesday or whatever, and I was really moved by it. So it wasn't just festival fever, I don't think. Well, it's got yeah. that that vibe, kind of like the fighter, yeah. and and I love the whole family. It's yeah. like, what the fuck is yeah. this? What are you fucking yeah. doing? Oh you know, God, constantly like- arguing with each. other. Other. Miranda Richardson Miranda in her Miranda Richardson like, in full Jackie Weaver yeah. <laughs> drag. Yeah, yeah. We had talked to her minutes yeah. before the screening, and then it starts, and I was like, oh my God, that is her. I mean, she yeah. really, there's a real transformation that went into Absolutely. that. Right, yeah. just drinking vodka and smoking at, at yeah. eight in the morning. And uh, <laughs> it's like, and but 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 everybody's humanized, you know? It's yeah. like very warts and all, but you kind of feel for each person. So I don't know. I know some of the critics who are here are saying, eh, we'll see if anybody watches that movie. We'll see if it makes a, a dent. But but I bought it. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see the rest of it. Yeah. 
again, just going down a list of movies. Sure, but, yeah. uh, I feel Why like not? we got to talk about Molly's Game. We do. Uh, which I, premiered here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I feel like, Richard, you've had, you have like a soft spot for Sorkin, but also don't necessarily go along every time. And it's, yeah. just, it's weird how like a, a Sorkin movie is just like, okay, we're back in the arena with this guy. Mm-hmm. Like he has this thing that not most writers do. But anyway, you came out of it the like, huge fan. <laughs> he does have a thing. You know, it's funny. He When I, I went to the premiere of it, like on, I think it was Friday, he walked out to introduce the film and the directors always get a, a nice round of applause. But like he got like people went nuts no. he almost got a standing ovation and <laughs> before the movie started <laughs> i was thinking just like for for a, a writer to be this much of a celebrity there has to be something there that engenders that you know yeah. and i think that molly's game is a good, good example of what that is his the, the way that he writes and you know as a director it's a perfectly competent job i don't think it's it's not gonna blow anyone's socks off but like he does he serves the script you know as well as he should and but as a writer he just it, it's it's exciting. It kind of makes you feel smart and engaged. You know, it has this kind of this quality that extends past just being like, oh, I appreciate that movie. There's something more visceral about mm-hmm. it. Um, and and I think Molly's Game is a really good example of that. It's a sort of an erratic, weird jumping back and forth in time. It's sort of similar to, I don't know, the big short and tone almost. And but but it's really fun. And I think that the reason I'm a somewhat, you know embarrassed Sorkin apologist sometimes is that you know he's not famous for doing well by his women characters and there's you know a lot of like mansplaining paternalistic kind of tendencies in his writing and those are there in Molly's game uh, especially in one scene toward the end with Kevin Costner who plays Jessica Chastain's dad plays Molly's dad so you know he didn't hit it completely out of the park but for the most part I think it's good and I think that that character who runs this underground poker ring She's given the agency, intelligence, motivation, all that, that I think women characters in Sorkin stuff have been denied in the past. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about Molly in this film is that she's not a strong female character because she's a person who's driven by a lot of things other than just like grit or intelligence. You know, she's right. like she was a competitive skier. So she's kind of got this streak in her where she has to be beating people. And then, you know, she is she's working as an assistant for this like really loathsome Hollywood type, which is there's a lot of like thinly veiled Hollywood people in her book that are even more thinly veiled in the movie, I think, but there's yeah. a fun guessing game to be played about who's who. But I think she is, she's complicated. Like she just does a lot of things for a lot of different reasons and you follow her the entire time. And even when it gets to the end and Kevin Costner kind of shows up to be like, here's why you're the way you are. You're yeah. like, I, I, I know I, w- I was there with you already, but I don't think that takes away from Jessica Chastain's performance at all. No. And I think that, you know, on the other podcast that we recorded in the same studio, yes, you, you can hear yeah, us on yeah, the Tiff Longtail yeah, podcast. Yeah. I should say, you said that you think Chastain is, is going to get a nomination. And I, I hope you're right. And I think that the way that the film was received at the premiere afterward, I mean, people, you could just feel in the room that people were with the movie. And then the credit, you know, the first end credit thing came up and people just kind of exploded. Like that's a, that's not always a hundred percent accurate indicator of what's going to happen in a few months. But I think it's a really good starting place for that movie's um, chances. Definitely a good sign. I feel like it's more accurate here than it's Sundance. Like Sundance, there's always these legendary things about like a screening, you know, like Patty Cakes was a big hit at Sundance. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and but at Toronto, we're at sea level. So that We're we're at sea level. (laughs) And it's just like closer to the Oscars. You know, there's less time for things to diminish in that way. And, And it's also, and I don't know, you're not, um, you know, these are big studio movies. You don't have to be like pulling for Aaron Sorkin. Like he doesn't need you. So if you right. love the movie, it's kind of doing it on its own merits as opposed to like an, an underdog thing. I think there's something there. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Idris Elba is really good in the movie, uh, yeah. but I can't see a campaign really emerging for him. I mean, I don't know. I it, it, He has this one great monologue, yeah. you know. Um, and, and sometimes that's all it takes. Uh, yeah. I mean, speaking of like a stool bark in Call Me well, By yeah, Michael we'll Stuhlbarg. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I would, I mean, I, they have such good chemistry yeah. together. In a way, it's interesting. Like, 
you kind of wish they were more character. I mean, there are a lot of characters in it, but like that would be a good SAG ensemble nomination, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? You know, because everyone's pretty strong. Big short style, yeah, you know, yeah. where you just get a huge group of people. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, 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 hey, I wouldn't rule it out, but um, yeah. I think the f- primary focus is going to be on Chastain and Sorkin's script. Yeah. Well, Mike and I got to see an hour of The Mountain Between Us, which Idris Elba is also in with oh, Kate Winslet. So and they, they have They have really good chemistry, too. That movie, they I do. That movie is certainly not an Oscar play, I think. Are they both say. doing American accents in it? No, he's not, oh, which okay. I think is important because yeah. he's very good in Molly's game, but it, you can his accent wobbles, um, which yeah. I think happens yeah. to a lot of very great actors. Um, but her, her Kate Winslet's American accent is just like terrifyingly pristine. It's insane. Yeah, well, she's <laughs> been doing it long enough. I know, at this point, yeah. I know. You think but it was like, almost a different one than I've heard before from her. It was yeah. just, oh, she sounded like a, you know, Kind of hard-edged uh, photojournalist. Oh, interesting. I, I, I was really. But it was great to watch get to hear him just like yeah. do do Idris, like can, talk like Idris. You can know? we talk about sort of not a controversy about that movie, but the sort of like that they had a P and I scheduled a press and industry screening yeah. scheduled that I was going to go to. Very, I was top of my list. I was very excited about it. Like, are they going to do it on that mountain? Um, <laughs> and then they moved the press and industry screening to next to this Thursday, which is when a lot of people will be gone. So a lot of people will be gone, and that's happened before, like with the LBJ movie last year so that might not indicate good things for it but think it's bad i mean it's coming out in like a month and it's it's a 20th century fox release uh i don't think the oscar buzz is going to do anything for if there is any um well we we talked about there's a scene with a bobcat (laughs) where you realize the kind of movie it is do you know what i mean like it's it's like you're hearing about it's like oh kate winslet idris elba like they actually shot on location they were up in british columbia like ten thousand feet and everybody's freezing their tails off and then like this bobcat there's like a bobcat attack and you're like, okay, is, never mind. Is Miranda Richardson good as the bobcat though? <laughs> she just transforms. It's a, it's a smoking bobcat that's <laughs> yeah, drunk before noon. Right, drink so vodka. you bring up kind of little micro controversies of the festival, which I think are such a, they inform so much of your festival experience and are really hard to understand if you're not here. But I wanted to talk about kind of what's been going around Suburbicon, which has been a really oh, interesting yeah. title here because mm-hmm. it played at Venice to, I think like warm reviews that were kind of like, you know, express some concerns about the way that this satire story plays out. And then, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Paramount scheduled just tons of press screenings for it here, like, yeah. it, like many of them outside of the regular festival schedule. And then the, the the buzz out of it, just people kept coming out of it really feeling pretty negatively toward it. And I haven't seen it, so I can't weigh on it. But then George Clooney kind of comes out and he's doing interviews and he's doing roundtables and he's really kind of pushing himself. He's the director of this film. It's been really interesting to watch because it's a it's not the film that people are buzzing about, but kind of what's going on around it is what's getting buzzed. Yeah. Well, I will say, I mean, he gave a great interview to us. Yes. Um, and so people should we we. There, we we have like a, a written out thing and yes, there, and there the will video. be video at yeah, some point. Yeah, Krista right? Smith, our colleague yeah. Krista Smith is doing videos all uh, week and she's had an unbelievable lineup of people yeah. come through. But George Clooney gave her lots of great stuff. He's, yeah. he's happy to go there and talk about Steve Bannon and Donald Trump. Yeah. And, 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 and what he was saying is basically like, look, I thought Hillary was going to win and and I made this movie. And if it's tonally off in the Trump era, like, I hear you. Yeah. I get That's it. The I mean, he's fault. basically <laughs> like, like been kind of yeah. open about it, which is interesting. I think, yeah. And I think that, you know, um, so when the opinion of it started to turn a little bit against the movie, you know, they scheduled a, a sort of salon conversation with George Clooney and Grant Heselov, who, who co-wrote the script well it's based on a Coen Brothers script but they added an element to it that people are finding to be a problem uh, so there was all this you know sort of light scrambling to kind of try to turn the the narrative on the on the yeah. movie and I think that what's interesting about, about that is that it does seem to have caught them by surprise yeah. and you know 
like, wait, what, what are people saying about it? But we thought we were doing this, you know, and I think that it's it just an, a good example of like, you can work on a film for however long you do, you can, you know, you can have the best intentions and, but sometimes there's just something that you're too close to it to see. Mm-hmm. And maybe then when, you, I feel like you know, the people in the Hillary campaign could relate. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in some ways it is, yeah, it's the whole, it's very meta, meta you know. Yeah. Um, well, and I believe in Paramount also has downsizing, which has been uh, n- not complicated for the same reasons, but it's also had kind of a complicated response here. I think yeah. because of one particular character. A great performance that I think will probably get Oscar nominated, but it, the role is... You don't think the controversy around it? So this is this, uh, an Asian, no. or she's a Thai she, character? No, a Vietnamese. Vietnamese. Yeah. Uh, Hong Chao is the actress who is um, a Vietnamese extract. I mean, you know, her, her parents are Vietnamese. But she's an, she's, she's American. grew up in America yeah. playing this, yeah, uh, a, a disabled uh, Vietnamese refugee. I compared it to uh, a little bit like Ruby in Cold Mountain. Like Renee Weisberger's Oscar winning Like this role. kind of scrappy person who comes along and saves the, the hero uh-huh. kind of. So yeah, but there's been a lot of like, ooh, this is a little like racially not necessarily the best, but she's so good in it. So yeah. it's it's tricky to say. But I don't know. Maybe you're right. The controversy will sink her chances. Well, downsizing doesn't come out for a while. So Bur- yeah. Suburban Con's coming out relatively soon. Downsizing is around until December. So I can kind of see that movie kind of like having been here, taking a break, you know, waiting and like letting the buzz kind of settle itself, and then yeah. coming back and maybe seeing it on its own merits. Because well, it's a funny thing because it's not that long between now and December, but a lot's going to happen. Well, you know, traditionally there's been a a lot of distance between the critical community's sense of what's problematic and what's, you know, and, and, and the academies. But we don't know how the last few years of, of inductions are going to change that. Like yeah. Watching something like The Upside, personally, you know, it's not as cringy as the French uh, Intouchables in terms mm. of sort of like problematic racial stereotypes that we've seen a million times. But three years ago, I would have been like, Kevin Hart could still easily get an Oscar nomination like no one in the Academy will care about this but I don't know about this new Academy that's an interesting thing that I think we have to see yeah is, is are they going to be sensitive to those sort of things that make coastal critics sort of squirm or not yeah yeah, I mean, Richard, you wrote a post that was like, literally, is this Kevin Hart's Oscar movie? Yeah. And I think you kind of came around and like, it shows a lot of potential. But I think it lays the groundwork for the next thing that could be the <laughs> Oscar movie. If he decides yeah. to do another drama, you know, yeah. I mean, and, you know, and I kept kind of repeating in the, the piece, like, we have no evidence that Kevin Hart gives a shit about winning yeah. an Oscar. Or not. And, We're and just graphing this narrative. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he sells out sports stadiums like he's fine. Yeah. But yeah. if he wants one, there is definitely promise shown in in uh, the upside. Well, it's yeah. funny because like of all the things here and all the, Kevin Hart was not here, but you know, most of the stars in these movies are and most of them care very deeply about an Oscar and you can tell from basically yeah, everything that's going yeah. on around here. Yeah, Luca Guadagnino has been sort of asking around about like Oscar stuff. I, has I, he really? I, I, that's what I hear, yeah. He's the director yeah, of yeah. Uh, Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, who, yeah. And, and, nice you, guy. Yeah. You think of him as like this Italian art director who like hangs out with Tilda Swinton so like <laughs> he, should, he has everything they he needs. They all care though. I know. Well, should, we should talk about Call Me By Your Name. We, you, ta- you mentioned uh, Michael Stuhlberg earlier. I wrote yeah. kind of like a love letter to his role in that film. I mean, you saw that at Sundance. We've been talking about this movie for a while really, but I mean, the press screening here went really well and it was packed it was the first screening that most people had at the festival yeah and it yeah. was, I mean, it's a great way to start off a festival. And um, as we were talking again in our uh, Tiff Long Take episode, Timothy Chalamet has kind of been like the um, the golden boy of the festival. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we went to a dinner that Sony Classics hosts. They're releasing Call Me By Your Name. And like that was the table that everybody wanted to be at. And who was at it, Katie? <sighs> Not me. Me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 I sat across from. It's uh, just gloating. Yeah. Right? Oh, it's I'm getting yeah, a little I'm bit. Look, much. Oh, yeah. Wait till you hear about uh, Jessica Chastain and the conversation right. they had. Yeah. I've been at film festivals for the past two weeks. I'm, I've just gone full crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I sat across from him. He's such a nice, earnest, like kind of goofy, string, like theater kid, you know. And and um, I so I think that he he plays well in an interview. He plays well at a dinner. He plays well at a cocktail party. That's like what you gotta that's do. that's a skill we saw Eddie yep. Redmayne 
kind of do that all, on his way to winning. Yeah, you know? definitely. Uh, yeah, so I think that, that that movie has such... It not only has, you know, the kind of artistic appreciation, it has it has love. People yeah. love that movie. They feel things for that movie. They ha- It has a ton of, ch- like, earnest, real champions. So, I and I and I had a feeling that, that would, that's what was going to happen with this movie here, that people would really lock onto it. I think that it's a little bit, you know, it, it was a holdover screening. You know, it had already been at Sundance. So, it has, mm-hmm. it didn't, I don't think as many people got to see it. But I think that important people did, and they liked it, and so yeah. Yeah, no, and, it, and it's something that they've known they had a hit on their hands since Sundance. But I think the, like, yeah. the more that that critical warmth builds up, and um, for Timothy Chalamet in particular, he's also in Lady Bird, which I think, like, I love Call Me by Your Name and Lady Bird both. And I can't like choose a favorite, but that can't hurt. Like, he's also in Hostels. <laughs> so if someone, <laughs> so, so it's very potential. You know, potentially some Academy voter saw him in three things at Sun- yeah, no, uh, Toronto this year. Yeah, so he's going to be like that's a good sign in for front him. of you at all times. Yeah. yeah. So you you saw Lady Bird at Telluride and kind of I think you made a very fair point that it's this very personal story. It's very female story, which are two things that Oscar d- doesn't necessarily always go for. Um, yeah. But I mean, I felt that like passionate love for that, like you're talking about with Call Me by Your Name. That I, I can't. I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me of last year's The Edge of Seventeen, the <laughs> Kelly Freeman Craig movie yeah. with Haley Steinfeld that. I loved. It's a, and that did you know, not get any Oscar No, well, exactly. Yeah. But maybe that was the test case. Maybe that was the Kevin Hart upside. And then this <laughs> is the second Kevin Hart. Uh, I always you know. think of it as the uh, Colin Firth in a single man versus Colin Firth in the King's Speech. Exactly. You get the yes. buzz for the yes. one and then you win the Oscar right. for the next one. You gotta one. grease the wheels. My res- response to Lady Bird to Telluride was I, I went in thinking it was going to change my life and it didn't do that, but I did like it. So I was maybe a little disappointed, but the, the reception here has been effusive. Um, I swung by, they had a, a party up on a roof and it was packed about five minutes after the scheduled start time, which like that means people really wanted to be there. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it just anyone I talked to, I saw you guys and you had just seen it. We were, I was Flipped waiting in line out. for a bathroom and you were like, Richard, you're crazy. How did you not love that movie? So, and that's the response I've been And our for, eyes were just red yeah, rimmed. Well, exactly. I was just like, yeah, everyone's tears teary. all over my face. Yeah. And, and that's the reaction I've got from almost everyone who's seen it here. They just yeah. kind of want to run up and talk to you about it. Yeah. So that's a good sign. We ran into the guy who plays uh, Miguel, who's the uh, brother of uh, Sarsha Ronan's character mm. on the street. And we were just like, we loved you. He was like, oh, he's like not ready for right. like yeah, people. Yeah, I think so we're one of the him. first people to ever come up to him on the street and I, be like, you're amazing. <laughs> we, we, I mean, that feels great. I love being able You were to doing a roving red carpet. You were just walking around with a <laughs> microphone, right? right. Just, yeah. 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 Well, that's what you've literally been doing on these Facebook lives, right? You've been like standing on King Street. and We uh, did a King Street uh, one on Friday. And then today we did... Um, at the Ritz and actually I got to do a little acting because um, I was sitting like on a couch outside by like this like fire feature thing on my phone and then they came out like oh. talking and we're like oh hi Richard and I was like hi and I put my phone down and you know so it was a little bit this feels like um, uh, when yeah. Jack Donaghy is supposed to be on camera on 30 Rock and he doesn't yeah. know what to do right. with his hands oh well if you see the video of me on Friday in King Street I'm, my hands are just like <laughs> octopusing around like I have no idea what I'm doing well, my, Mike and I have been yeah. on a red carpet all weekend and, how uh, has that experience been it's been it's kind of crazy I mean so we're up there and you know we have to talk to each other for a while which is why it's really great to have each other because we talk to each other yeah. a lot and then you're there and then all of a sudden Nicole Kimmins steps out of a car and like the flash bulbs go off and people screaming and then yes. all of a sudden she's standing next to you on this platform and just this like kind of luminous otherworldly presence and it's it's very odd and you ask her like and you kind of do one icebreaker yeah and then you ask one question and then someone behind her starts going <laughs> like uh, <laughs> spinning right. their fingers saying to wrap it up yeah, yeah. so it's you know it's not the venue for like the most probing uh, journalism of all time no but it's a lot of fun the fans have been really cool 
and yeah. um, and they are coming with all kinds of paraphernalia to have signed. And the actors are really excited too. And I think something like Toronto, they come here and they do interviews and they're in interview suites and they're in hotels and it's exhausting. But they come, they step on the red carpet and they're just surrounded by screaming fans and they're yeah. pumped about it. No oh, matter how, like what veterans they are, like Kate Winslet walked over from her hotel because it was right across the street, and then she went. She wanted to get there early enough to sign a lot of autographs. Yeah. You know who really went for it? Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Oh, he got just... out of his car clapping for the crowd, and they were they went nuts. Talk about someone who wants. Well, and he came, and then he came up on the platform like, you're having fun. He goes, if you're not happy with this, you will never be happy. But we were talking about like, you know, this dude paid his dues for a long time. Like he is very, he was very ready to have a red carpet of people screaming his name with uh, Walter White pictures. So it's not going to be an issue for, it's not like, you know, one of these people is like, I'm not Walter White anymore. He's like, I'll sign off. How many you got of these Walter White (laughs) pictures? And his dad was a journeyman actor. So this is kind of a generational thing. Like, I just think he's a Nomination is a lot. lot. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah. he got that Oscar nomination for Trumbo. Like, he is well liked. Like, mm-hmm. if we were talking on the red carpet about how a lot of actors will have an iconic TV role and never break out of that shadow, and that's all they ever get to do. But Cranston has broken that for sure at this point. So we'll continue covering Toronto basically throughout the week. You can find all of our stuff. There's a hub on VF.com. Uh, we'll probably still be talking about Toronto in next week's podcast. Uh, Richard's still writing reviews. There's portraits. There's uh, videos. There's Mike and I red carpet. So uh, please go to VF.com and catch up on all of it. This year, I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store thanks to ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month, they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. Each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to my home. All meat is free of antibiotics and hormones. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum-sealed so that it always stays that way. I can customize my box or go with one of theirs. Either way, I get exactly what I want. ButcherBox is really the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. With ButcherBox, you get the highest quality meat for just about $6 a meal. And they even have free shipping nationwide, except for Alaska and Hawaii. So start your year off right with up to 10 pounds of free meat. For a limited time, ButcherBox is offering new members their ultimate keto bundle when you sign up today. That includes one pork butt, two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com slash cadence. That's butcherbox.com slash cadence. So we're sitting here in studio with Rob Kraszewski and Jeff McNunn, who are the hosts of the TIFF Long Take podcast. And uh, well, you guys are hosting us in your studio. So thank you so much for having us here. Thank you for coming. We uh, appreciate you, you know, sitting in this small, dark room with us. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've been used in... to being the interviewees. So this, is, uh, <laughs> this is a nice change. Yeah. I think it's more of a, of a conversation that we're having. Yeah. I mean, we just find it fascinating that you guys are in the center of this thing that we spend the whole year being like, what's going to be on the lineup and what are we going to do? And when's the schedule going to come out? And you're kind of here months in advance figuring out where we're all going to be sent. So. <laughs> Just from the, I mean, when you're leading up to it and when we're coming in here kind of obsessing over Oscars, like how much are you thinking about like the broader conversation around this and how much are you guys just trying to like get the best movies that you can? I think that, I mean, like, so the broader conversation is very useful, right? Like it's a good thing that uh, people are thinking about kind of uh, films holistically, but I, I think that it's primarily about the best films, right? Like we want to make sure we're, we have a very engaged cinem- like cinephile audience here in Toronto, right? Like people who like just love movies. And so we try to make sure as a general rule that we're just bringing the best stuff that they will like 
that they could hopefully, you know, not see anywhere else. And like they come and they have like this beautiful sort of like feast of film. And, and our programmers have uh, an extremely diverse taste as well. Um, and that is kind of shows through the programs that we have. We have programmers for our Midnight Madness program, Contemporary World Cinema, special presentations. So all of these programmers uh, are programming for different sections, different regions, different genres. And uh, yeah, they're really looking for the best. And I think it happens here at TIFF when those conversations about Oscars starts to happen. And, and I'm sure they're really excited to see which of their films gets, starts getting that buzz. So um, Toronto is a really big festival. There's a lot. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of different kind of categories and sidebars and all that. So let's say someone listened to this podcast or your podcast and said, I really want to go to TIFF next year. Like, would you, well, what would your kind of angle of approach be, do you think, for sort of a newbie? Because I'm, you know, as, as like journalists and critics and stuff, we have sort of a mandate and sort of editorial coverage we need to do. But if you were just like a, someone who was going to buy tickets, how would you do it? Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, what would your plan of attack be? I think it depends on what that person is like super interested in, right? Because like um, to Jeff's point, there are so many different programs. Like personally, something that I that I would suggest people do is like check out Platform. So Platform is a it's a program of films that we had that we started on our 40th anniversary, and um, it's uh, named after the like uh, Jean Jean Co film, and it is like just about providing like basically taking like up and coming directors or directors that we feel like should have a quote platform and like showing their films in sort of like a prestigious like venue and there's so much cool stuff like that's where Moonlight was last year right so it's like a really good place to sort of like find interesting new things yeah, definitely. And, and I always suggest, too, like, if you are uh, a public uh, film lover, and, and this town, I think, has so many of them, I think that's why a lot of filmmakers love bringing their films to Toronto is because of the audience. But I always suggest to those audience members that go see something that's not going to be in theaters in, you know, I mean, two weeks after the festival. Go see <laughs> Ugh, something <guilty>. that... <laughs> well, yeah, right. go see something that, you know what, is still looking for distribution, and go see something that you can brag to your film friends about that it's like, you know what, I saw this film. It, it's not. It doesn't have a distribution yet. You're gonna and people are talking about it, and you're gonna see it soon enough. Listen, Richard has not stopped talking about the Blake Lively Blind movie that played here last year. Still yeah. hasn't opened. Uh, and I gave it a very good review. And, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good because it it sort of adds to the specialness of it. If you're sort of, it's a rarity that you find here, not something that's going to be in theaters in two weeks. I think that's. It. I remember some beginners um, years oh, ago, sure. and it was like right. It was like, and I think like it came out like a year or two later, and I was so fired up, like I was so excited about that movie because like Christopher Plummer. Be still my heart. Um, and when it, you know, I talked about it literally for a year and then eventually like it, you know, came out, it was quite successful. Christopher Plummer got the Oscar. It was really, really nice, but it was a nice ex- example of that sort of experience. Mm-hmm. And I think in friend groups, everyone kind of wants to be the programmer in their friend group. Totally. They want to like tell people what they saw and, and, and share to them like, okay, these are my picks. You should see them. And festivals allow for that because uh, a festival is a huge event of films that, don't really have a release schedule, some do, but they can put those films on people's radar in advance and and get people pumped about it. You know, coming to Canada in 2017, it's almost like being in The Handmaid's Tale when you get, like, across the border. Uh, You're safe. You're safe. It's okay. And we've got, like, so on our side of the border, there's, like, Nazis fighting in the streets to defend, like, (laughs) Confederate monuments. And when we come here, you guys are starting every public screening with uh, a, a... expression of gratitude to the First Nations, which I found very moving and really cool. Can you tell, do you know what went into that decision? Can you tell us a little bit about that? And also there's, you know, a full one third of the films this year are directed by women. At least that's a statistic I heard yesterday. So can you talk a little bit about that, that angle of things? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of that acknowledgement of like the uh, um, original keepers of the the land here at TIFF, um, we're like talking about the Haudenosaunee and the Mississaugas of the New Credit and the Huron-Wendat. Like it's uh, really, I think it's just the right thing to do. I mean, like, we're, it, which may be the most Canadian thing that I, I've ever really, said. It, yeah, when you make it sound so easy when we just like yeah. torture each other over something like that. Yeah, Can well, you come back with us and explain <laughs> that? Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, like, and it's, you know, it is a big event, right? And it's a big event on... Um, uh, land that has been, you know, um, the site of human activity for thousands of years, and it's just literally us kind of like trying to um, acknowledge that in a uh, as as best a way as possible. And so, like, I'm glad that it's you know resonating um, when you when yeah. you guys are watching those films. And in terms of uh, having female voices heard on screen, it's extremely important to us. We have a Share Her Journey campaign going on right now to really uh, help with the development of um, female filmmakers. We also have a huge industry conference that's going on right now. And we have that split as well in terms of how many female speakers we have at that conference. We have Anna Cerna from the Swedish Film Institute, who so is badass. an expert on on um, all the, the the challenges and really championing female filmmakers in Sweden. And, and she's such an amazing advocate that hearing her on stage uh, yesterday at the conference uh, was a really special moment. So you guys have not been around TIFF for 40 years, and this festival is much older than, you know, they, none of us have been in film that long. But I'm just, I think it's kind of hard to explain to people who maybe don't go to festivals. It's like, yeah, no, the biggest festival of the year is in Toronto, which is like not, every, you, you think all of New York, all of, uh, you think all of Hollywood's in New York or LA. So how did Toronto just become this hub for all of this? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the audience, honestly. So like we have our People's Choice Award, right? And uh, like every year people just vote, they vote for like their favorite film and uh our audiences love movies. Like they just get so fired up about the films that come here. And so that has kind of like allowed for certain films to kind of like snowball in terms of popular opinion. And I think that people seem to just like really enjoy having their films here because it seems like it's an, it's actually like just like an enjoyable experience where we all kind of like come together in a, in a dark room. Yeah, and I also think it has to do with the champions that we've had at the helm. We lost Bill Marshall this year, who is the founder of our festival, and I think that he was someone who championed film and this festival at an early stage uh, more than anyone. And and uh, there was recent news of Pierce Handling uh, stepping down in the end of 2018 at his post as CEO of the company, and he is someone as well who is just uh, the purest film uh, lover that I know. And uh, it's yeah, it's it's hard to see him go. I think also it comes to it also comes down to programming, right? Like the way that our festival is programmed is I think different from many others in that so we have a global team of programmers, so folks that are like in charge of like, you know, Scandinavian film, in charge of films from like Africa and the Middle East, and they own that program, right? So they like it's not as though they it sort of goes to like a final say um like from the top, like they get to sort of own their program, own their picks, and it ends up being like this like sort of beautiful diverse experience of like many many tastes as Jeff's sort of alluded to, which, you know, it and it, it brings a lot of different uh, disparate views together, hopefully making for something that you guys can all enjoy. A couple of months ago, I had a dinner in New York with some of your team, with Cameron Bailey and a couple other people. Great uh, dinner, dinner companion. 
Oh, excellent. Yeah. I mean, everyone was, you know, lovely. And, and, and there was some talk about, you know, that the festival changed a little bit of its, uh, this year that it was a slightly smaller lineup of films. And, and so I'm curious, like going for how you think that worked this year and like what, what plans are, what, what's going to be different about the festival next year or in two years? I mean, what's the evolution of TIFF looking like to you guys? It's a good question. I mean, like, so we always like to take stock after each festival. And so like what next year looks like, we're going to probably be thinking about on September 18th. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. but that being said, I mean, like, I think that I would, I would kind of like throw that back to you guys in terms of the sort of tightening of the program. Like, I think we really did that in response to a lot of feedback they were getting, like with that just said that there was so many films that it was hard to see everything. And like, has that been helpful to you? Like, as, as well, you're, you're still never going to see everything. I mean, yeah. it's still hundreds of movies. And, you know, mm-hmm. if someone walks out of here having seen 30 or like, what did you sleep? What is happening to you? Um, I mean, you I, don't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> no, nor, nor, nor do we. I mean, it's the kind of the, the scope of it is so exciting, though, because you come here and you look at the lineup and you see the amount of things you could see and you know we come here and we have to see kind of the hit the buttons of the the Oscar bus stuff but then you get to wander into a theater and see something that you would never see otherwise and yeah. that, that level of discovery here I think is it's really great. unique to Toronto I remember last year I think it was I had a ga- I had like filed a review that got that I, uh, took less time to write than I thought it would so I had like a weird gap in my schedule and I just wandered into a movie based on a very like one sentence description uh, a movie called Brimstone with Dakota Fanning that is this absolutely bonkers horror <laughs> western epic that I walked out of being like what the hell did I just see? And I tweeted about it and the director tweeted back at me. He was like, you're right, I am insane. And it was just this really fun really I think exclusive to TIFF kind of experience so I so I like that you guys are still big you know but I think that with a slightly smaller lineup it maybe gave more people the opportunity to have that experience if that makes yeah. any sense it is that thing of just having a three hour window I, I had that yeah. experience with Spring Breakers where I walked in there there were like four people in the audience and Jordan Hoffman and me were two of them and afterwards, we're like, is it just me or is that freaking amazing? You know, and then by the time like South by Southwest rolled around, they had gigantic lines outside. But it was, you know, I remember that tip screening because you were at that one when no one was there. And then the second one I was in line for and it was mayhem because that's what happens is right. people go see something, they yes. take a chance on it. And then all of a sudden the buzz builds and the Scotiabank P&I lines are massive. So it's really exciting to be here and have not just all these films, but all these people who have seen everything. And every time you walk down the street, you have a conversation with someone and find out something else amazing. Well, I'm curious for you guys like what what you know you mentioned beginners but like what have been like uh, like what's the most memorable tiff experience for you guys personally like as film goers oh that's a good question i love the discovery part of it the idea of discovering something new that i wasn't expecting that's one of my favorite parts but in terms of experiences i remember going to see the premiere of the trip uh which is the steve oh, so yeah it, it, unbelievable and uh they do this amazing michael kane impression in the film and they got in a michael kane off on stage with each other (laughs) and they're going back and forth for about 15 minutes and I was like only a tiff and 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 that idea of it being an event that that the the actors are there and they could really do anything and that excitement around that is is amazing I remember top five a couple years ago where that was a huge sales title and I've never seen an audience react to a film like that the audience was going nuts and when and the buyers are in that room just being like, oh, my gosh, I, I need this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the conversation that happened on stage, the amount of like hilarious comedians that are in that movie, just imagine them on stage 
with Cameron Bailey, and it was just like, this is like a stand-up tour. Well, and from our perspective, that's why these big studios keep coming, and you know, these Oscar players want to be here is because you get audiences like that, and you see, you know, your executives get to see it that way, your marketing team, and you can see it with the the best audiences in the world, probably. I mean, you talk about how passionate people are here, and the screenings here, when the screening goes well, it is a palpable feeling. How much insight do you guys have, or or... or how much view do you have of the marketplace activity that's going on here? I mean, my dude here has a very big, <laughs> a serious view into that. Yeah. Yeah. So Cause that be- feels like another world that we don't see, you know, as, as more kind of reviewer oriented folks, we're not seeing that. What, what's, what's going on that, there? That, yeah, no, that's definitely my world. Yeah. We have a huge industry center. It is the hub of industry activity here. Uh, we have 5,400 industry professionals that come to TIFF and that doesn't include press. That doesn't include guests that are part of films and they are in meetings all day. We have national agencies that fill that industry center that are representing films from those countries. It's an exciting place to be. And I think that one thing that's great about this festival is that, yes, it is a a public festival, but uh, behind that curtain is all of the industry that's going on. And, And we were talking about earlier, it's like, why Toronto in a way? But but that's one of my favorite parts of the festival is that seeing the international industry, all of LA, all of New York, people from all over the world just like just come here for 10 days and they're ready to do business. What's the big story so far of this festival from that side of things? Byron Allen. Yeah, that's that's got to be it. The guy yeah. who bought Chappaquiddick. The Chappaquiddick has got to be the big story so far. And uh, we always are tracking sales very closely because, um, yeah, the, having – Strong business here um, is really important for us, and that continues to have films coming back here to be bond sold. I was at the premiere of Chappaquiddick yesterday, and Byron Allen was the most excited man. He yeah. was so he talked, fired. You talked up. rather a long time. He did, but you know at what? one point, he said to the he said to the screenwriters, "He goes, you know, these guys are only thirty when they wrote this." He goes. You know, I'm not your daddy, but I feel like your daddy. I was yeah. like, wow. Yeah. Okay. He, said that he was proud of them as though he was his, their dad. Right. Yeah. And, and I just he... thought that was the <laughs> nicest thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is, this you is thought a... it was nice, huh? Okay. It's the difference yeah. between yeah. Canadians Again, and New Yorkers. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their dads were really upset. Oh, their dads were so mad. Yeah. No, it's what true. What festival do you guys hate the most? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think we hate any of the festivals um, <laughs> because we're so large. And okay. uh, you know, you can just, beat them up if you wanted well, to. I mean, we're just in really good shape, <laughs> yeah. right? Like we really we take care of our bodies, we eat right. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think we hate any festivals. I don't know, Jeff. Do you hate festivals? No, I love other festivals. Um, <laughs> our, our programmers travel all around the world to all these festivals. I get the opportunity to go to the Berlin and Cannes, and, and I'm actually going, and I'm excited to go to some smaller festivals and see what they're doing because, like, we learn from other festivals too. Like, everyone does things differently, and uh, yeah, I, I, I love. But going seriously, to- it's tell you right, right? <laughs> <laughs> tell you who? <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, Rob and Jeff, you haven't yet survived TIFF. We're like halfway through, but uh, congratulations on surviving this far. And uh, thank you for joining us to talk about all of this. Hey, thanks for coming. It was a real pleasure. We'll see you next year. Thanks so much. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you for listening. Please find us on Apple Podcasts and rate us and review us and tell your friends. I I keep saying this, but it really is the time to start joining in this conversation with us. Um, And we'll be back next week to catch up on the rest of Toronto and Mothers coming out this week. And And then the New York Film Festival starts. Yeah, and you're just going to be rubbing elbows with famous people. You're not friends with us anymore. No, no. I've I've skipped to the next plane, my friends. (laughs) I don't have an Oscar. I know. Richard only hangs out with celebrities now. He's like, all these parties that we didn't get invited to. Oh, I was at this party. Speaking of people screaming at you, I went to a party that two famous people were getting me into 
and they were like, now, Richard, you have to wave. You have to wave. I was like, but they're not screaming for me. I don't have to do anything. And but So they dutifully did the wave. Well, a Little Gold Men fan came up to Katie and me and made oh, our lives and great. took a selfie. And then uh, we were like, you know, and Richard's somewhere uh, around here, too. And they were like, Richard Lawson? <laughs> yeah. Telling you. You shouldn't have told him that. <laughs> well, I paid that guy. So <laughs> uh, well, unless uh, Richard runs off to uh, join the Celebrity Circus, we'll be back next week. Uh, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, on Twitter at Little Gold Men, and on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard. Rylaz. This episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell. Thanks to Kyle Fulton at TIFF for engineering this episode. And thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best description of getting to record a podcast inside the Tiff Bell Lightbox goes to Mike Hogan. Is it just me or is that freaking amazing? Amazing.